Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the unfiltered band. It means yes. It is another edition of Unfiltered in October. Unfiltered coming your way right here and now. Officially, so go down as episode 117 of Unfiltered as we sit here live on a Tuesday, once again preparing after a rainout for a game three of the World Series. Games three, four, and five now scheduled for tonight on Tuesday as we sit here live. And of course, welcome to all you Spotify, Apple, and podcast folks, wherever you get them. Wednesday, game four, Thursday, game five, off day for the travel now Friday, Saturday, game six, if necessary. And the same goes for Sunday night for game number seven at Minute Maid, should we get that far as we get this far by thanking the Unfiltered Band and welcoming you to what should be a crazy, busy, bananas, good show as we prepare for game three. Not the same preparation we had yesterday because there are changes because of the rain, especially and specifically with the rotation in Philadelphia and the questions now surrounding Zach Wheeler. We'll get into all of that. The we, myself, and all of you three ways through the chat. You could jump on board. I'll connect with you throughout the course of the show right here as I put it out there in the chat. If you pop it open on your Twitter box or on YouTube, whether you're watching on my YouTube channel, which you can get on my Twitter in the bio at Casey Stern, subscribe and watch all of our 116 now plus episodes and whatever else you want with all the content. And of course, Believes as well. That's B-L-E-A-V. Believe this big show. Part of the Believe Network, Joe Sarala will join me coming up here in about 15 minutes. We'll break down game three, look ahead to tonight and what it means and the changes. And as much as things change, they stay the same. Reunited and it feels so good. One of my better friends uh, in life and in the game and a guy I had the pleasure of sitting right next to on a set for seven postseasons with Turner. And he has way more than that. Uh, 502 more in terms of home runs in his career, 509 of them for the nine-time All-Star and should-be Hall of Famer, Gary Sheffield, who will join me at 12.30 Eastern Time here live on the show. As always, you can connect with us, and we are here in part because we're presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Basketball's back. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends all on Bet Online. As your continued source for all your sports wagering information, BetOnline's got live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It is always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports events, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. All simple, all this way. Head over to BetOnline.ag. That's BetOnline.ag to join. Get your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. But make sure you use this promo code. It's BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V to receive your awards. It's Bet Online, where the game starts as we get started here on what should be a busy show. Rain has had effects in World Series many, many times in the past, and you never know what the impact of them is going to be until after you see this series play out. I'll give you an example. 2011, sitting doing the pre and post at that time for MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And we're there in Texas, and it was supposed to rain. It was supposed to pour, raining, snoring, the old man, and all that. And then nothing happened. But they had rained the game out early enough that it must have been about 4 or 5 o'clock the latest, well before yesterday's, that it got rained out. And we knew that we were going to have an extra day off between Game 6 and Game 7. It gave a couple of advantages they thought to the Texas Rangers at the time 
on where they wanted to go. And they continued to go, not with Derek Holland, who then could have turned around to pitch a brilliant game four on a short rest and did not. They gave the ball to Matt Harrison in game seven. But what was bigger in that spot was that Chris Carpenter was now available to turn around after he would not have been able to start to pitch a game seven. He was good enough. So were the Cardinals, and they win the World Series. When the Phillies got this rain out yesterday, a lot of people looked at this and said advantageous to the Phillies, and it still may be. But the biggest reason why people thought it was advantageous to the Phillies was because they thought it would turn Zach Wheeler closer in this series to have him throw out there again. So when Ranger Suarez was named the Game 3 starter, and that was flipped, and remember, going back to yesterday, we talked about this with Mark Feinsan, the reason Rob Thompson ended up making the switch from Suarez Game 3 Syndergaard game four to starting Syndergaard game three and moving and flipping Suarez was because he had to come into game one and relief, strike out Alvarez, get up, warm up, get heated, get in a max effort spot and go sit back down. And they thought from the way they looked at it and they being him and his staff with Caleb Cotton, the pitching coach and so on, there'd be an extra 20, 25 pitches for Suarez should he turn around a day later. And they thought that it was worth it for what could be one, two innings of extra baseball for Suarez to have him pitch a game four. That's why they hit Thor in game three initially. When the rainout happened and we heard that Suarez was going to pitch a game three, you then figured, okay, now Syndergaard going to be off the board. He could piggyback or be needed wherever in a game three. And you're going to get Aaron Nolan in game four and Zach Wheeler in game five. And then the off day and then turn around, maybe Nola in game six or Suarez, Nola or Wheeler or both in a game seven. Putting the Phillies in an advantageous position because of the rain. Then the news came out. Because of arm fatigue of Zach Wheeler, a guy who we mentioned and talked about this with Mike Stanton after his start, among others here on this show, noticeably the velocity a couple of ticks down, and that's a big difference when you're throwing 95 instead of 97, 98 consistently. It's not why he gave up those hits, I think, early in that game. I think he got ambushed, and the credit goes to the Astros. But you saw that he did not have the same stuff. You saw that Wheeler was not relying as heavily on the fastball, and you saw that the velocity was not where it is, and he knows that. Then it was announced that not Suarez after game three, but we're going to Nola in game four. And Noah Syndergaard would be the guy who gets game five, says Rob Thompson, if Syndergaard is not used in relief in game three or four. If he is, Kyle Gibson, remember him? Yep, a great pickup, a guy who gives you reliable innings and all of that and was that way for a number of different teams, including the years when he was with the Twins. Then seemed that way at times for the Phillies, but he been off the reservation on this team for a long time. He's not doghouse, he's an outhouse, he's not in a house. He's not part of this scenario. So why would it be Syndergaard if he's not used Gibson? Well, then Rob Thompson saying that Zach Wheeler is feeling arm fatigue. They asked about his elbow. We're dealing with a guy who's got injury history. And he said, no, no injury Nothing to worry about. Now, first of all, they're not going to tell you anyway if they're trying to grit and bear it and get him through. Not going to tell you anyway. It's not Belichickian in this uh, spot or like hockey with like, that's a lower body injury. What the hell does that mean? They're not going to be that way. He's not going to tell you, however. But what he is saying is it was very clear and, and at least seemingly forthright about the fact that it's just fatigue. But that it would be not Wheeler in game five. They would still give him, now remember, the extra day 
So you've got the travel day Friday, which means Zach Wheeler gets to back up all the way to Saturday. Now, this still would allow in game seven a tag team of Suarez and Nola to be where you go. But as I wrote down here in the notes for today, I wrote it down in bold. If I would have told you before this series, now look, there's a lot of if I would have told you with the Phillies, because nobody thought they'd be here in the first place. But when they got here, and I said to you, hey, my gut says Phillies in six, but the brains, because of the pitching depth, says Astros in six. That's where a lot of people were because of the same reason, the depth of pitching. But Wheeler was not in that depth question. Wheeler was at the high end. And I told you Wheeler was going to outpitch Verlander. You probably would have told me you'd put a bet on that, especially based on Verlander's World Series track record. And by the way, Justin Verlander is still going to be where he is in sitting, and we're still going to see McCullers, and look, it looks like Javier now. But when you look at where you're at with Wheeler, as I wrote down here, if I would have told you that Philadelphia would have to win this series with Zach Wheeler pitching only twice, you would have told me there's no chance. Now, everything about the Phillies has been no chance. Everything has seemed like it doesn't work. Everything has seemed like it can't be real, especially when their bullpen has gone from such a mockery for four or five years running to becoming such a star of the show the way it's been. And Rob Thompson has led, you know, that category and led the league in. Hey, nobody would have thunk, and here we are. In a year where you had to, you know, relieve Joe Girardi of his duties as a terrific manager, a World Series winning manager, because not, not the right guy. This wasn't the right fit for this group. But if I would have told you before the series, you got to win this series with Zach Wheeler pitching only twice, how many Philly fans out there would have been confident? If you're a Philly fan, whether you're watching this, whether it's live, you're listening to it on the podcast in delay, and if you're listening to it and it's not live, don't chat, obviously, but get at Casey Stern. I want you to tweet me when you hear this. I want you to tell me, if I would have told you, even as a Philly fan, Wheeler only pitches twice in this series max, would you have thought you could win this series? The answer would be no. There were people who thought, well, we're getting Wheeler 1-4-7. and seven. Then there were people who thought, okay, when he pitches game two, he'll pitch game two, and game six could be a closeout, or you could see him perhaps maybe on a shorter rest, maybe you get him in a tag team spot, then on a throw day in a game seven. You're still trying to find a way to fit that guy in more than twice. But now you know why Wheeler got game two. Now you know why Nola got game one. Now you know when you see the rain out put you in a position. Because look, look how quickly Rob Thompson's like, oh, I know Suarez in game three. And now he's your game seven guy probably. But now right away, I mean, he knew, you know, hey, look, I'm not messing around. I'm putting Thor in there. Okay, Suarez. But then when you hear game four is Nola, and then game five is Syndergaard. But if he pitches in relief, it's Gibson. Not, hey, we'll wait and see. They didn't have to name it wouldn't be Wheeler. They didn't have to say anything. They could have said, we're going to see game three and four and let you know. He could have said Suarez in game three, and then we'll figure it out. Then maybe down to one, you throw Nola. Up to one, you sneak Syndergaard in there, right in the game four, and then you throw Nola in game five. I was surprised that Rob Thompson laid the whole thing out because he had no need to lay the whole thing out. Now, I'm not getting on the guy. He's been brilliant, but it is a little bit odd. It doesn't make a lot of sense because there's no, there's no reason to do it. But for him to be that forthright, a matter of fact, about, hey, look, I got Suarez game three. Game four, we are going to bring Nola forward. And then game five, I got Syndergaard or Kyle Gibson. And you're telling me Wheeler not a chance. We're not seeing him game five. We're not seeing him. In sh- He's not coming out of the pen. There's not some sneaky play where, hey, they're up 3-1 in a series. He's game five. 
We're waiting all the way till Saturday to try and get Wheeler in there with an additional day. Now you know you got a problem with Zach Wheeler. Now we've seen injuries at the end of seasons to pitchers who have found dynamic performances. Look no further. Met fans cover your ears because Max Scherzer was terrible in the postseason and late down the stretch in that series against the Braves too, which for the division was pretty much the playoffs. So between that and San Diego, he was awful, giving up home runs left and right, still clearly troubled by the oblique and 37 years old. But you go back to 2019, and I was there, and there were people that didn't know if Max Scherzer was going to make another start. They didn't know how he would make another start. And then two, three days later, he's not only dealing, but he dealing to help that team go win a World Series in a remarkable way. Bumpy roads to beautiful places with four. Cadham, one, two, three, four wins all on the road at Minute Maid to go win that series. And that was in a situation which was an actual injury, even worse than just a fatigue issue, and nobody knew what they'd get, and way older than Wheeler is now. So this does not mean that Zach Wheeler cannot pitch very well in game six. But here's what it does mean. Let's go back to it again. If I would have told you if you're a Philly fan, and this is some big banana size, this is huge. In terms of stories, big. The story of how Philly wins this series before it began, it started with Nola and Wheeler throwing four, five starts of brilliant baseball in the series. Nola gets in a 5 nothing hole against Verlander. They got to come back. Then in game two, Wheeler is down 3 nothing, four batters in, and now you find out you can only use Wheeler twice in the series. When you are in a spot where you are going into this postseason and in this series as a Philly fan, thinking we're winning it because of Wheeler and Nola, and now I am resigned to you're only seeing Wheeler twice in the series and who knows what version the second time. And the first two times, they combined, gave up 10 runs, and you came out somehow even 1-1. Philly seemed to defy odds consistently, but this now puts you in a very... Very precarious spot as you sit there if you're a Philadelphia Philly fan. We talk about that much, much more. Guy knows a thing or two about pitching and much, much more. Our guy Joe Serralo kind of up to join us once again here on the show. Joe, appreciate you, buddy. How are you? Casey, doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I want to start here. If I would have told you before the series, even if you were sitting there thinking, because I said before the series, gut told me somehow Philly's in six, but I took Astros in six because my brain just was too powerful with the difference <laughs> in the depth of pitching, right? If I would have told you, even if you're on the Philly end thinking positive, you got to win the World Series against Houston and Wheeler's only pitching twice, would you ever think that that is possible for them to do so? And now, how difficult is it when we know Wheeler's only throwing twice? It definitely makes it much more of an uphill battle than it already was. I mean, look, it's it's almost in today's day and age unreasonable to expect a pitcher to go three times, even in a seven-game set. It just doesn't happen anymore. You know, Madison Bumgarner is a rare, rare exception. Uh, but that's what should have happened with Zach Wheeler. I, I mean, having him go game two instead of game one made zero sense to me. Uh, he would have had enough rest. I think he would have been on four days rest going game one like a normal start. And it would have set him up to, you know, at least be a prolonged opener in game seven, even if he can't go six, seven innings on that short rest, at least go out there, give him three, give him four, get off to a hot start. Now, 
things are a little dicey for Philly. You know, I mean, they've changed up their rotation a bit. They've got Suarez game three. Who knows when Syndergaard, if he's going to start, when he's going to start. I, I don't I don't really like what's going on with that pitching staff. Yeah, Thompson yesterday, <clears throat> you know, look, when he put Suarez in game three, that that was fine with me, made sense. I was surprised he wasn't game three anyway, even though he would have had a shorter leash and maybe not as many pitches because he had to, you know, get up, heat up, get Alvarez out in a max effort spot and then go sit back down. I would have thought they would have rode him anyway with the momentum going back to Philly even at one and then ride the pen and try and take that game and let Syndergaard pitch game four and whatever happens, happens. But to hear now it's Suarez game three, Nola game four, and Syndergaard game five, and if not Syndergaard, Kyle Gibson. If Syndergaard pitches in game three or four, Rob Thompson saying yesterday it's going to be Kyle Gibson in game five <laughs> and that Wheeler's not pitching till game six because of fatigue. It tells you why game two happened the way you just pointed out and what was being masked, right? It tells you why the velocity was what we saw from Wheeler in his start, which was touchdown at least two, three ticks throughout the way. And he was going away from it. Very similar to DeGrom in that weird game against the Padres where he just lost his fastball, didn't have support of it and knew it wasn't right. Wheeler was going away, going way more to the other pitches than with the fastball. And I don't think that was because they ambushed him early. I think that's because he knew he didn't have it. And the impact of what was happening to those pitches early. To hear yeah, that, I, that's scary. That now, now you start to get worried that you don't even know what version Joe is Zach Wheeler is showing up in game six when he pitches on Saturday. No, and what's terrifying there is, you know, Zach Wheeler, look, you know, you just mentioned Jacob deGrom, and this may be really high praise, but when Zach Wheeler's on, he's as good as Jacob deGrom. He's as good as anyone in the game when he's on. And so to know that, you know, he's fatigued, that he doesn't have it, we saw last year what happened when Max Scherzer, who went to the deadline, was 8-0 and with them with a sub-2 ERA, got fatigued, didn't have it, and, you know, it really hurt that team come the NLCS against Atlanta. So, you know, this is awful timing. I mean, you just mentioned Kyle Gibson. If he goes out there for a game five, especially at Citizens Bank Park, it's a home run derby for the Houston Astros. I mean, do you recall, Casey, the uh, Sunday afternoon game where Jose Buto made his MLB debut? Of for course I do. Of course. We we were down what? Like eight to, eight to two, seven to two. And uh, I texted my cousin at the time. I said, watch us win this 10-9. I think we won it 11-10 because Kyle Gibson was pitching. I mean, to have him, you know, he shouldn't even be on a World Series roster, let alone, you know, starting a game. I mean, and he's Zach only Eflin's there, on the and roster. he's only there, Joe, for the 14th inning. He's only there for the down seven runs. We got to give up this game. Let's say up 3-1 in a series in a game five. Not worth using anybody else in the pen. Let him ride five innings. Basically wait it out. Tim Wakefield, by the way, made a performance like that, an appearance like that for the Red Sox in a game they lost 19-8 to the day before they turned back and won four in a row against the Yankees. So sometimes those are valuable. But that's the only reason he's on the staff. But to me, to hear that, now, this start in game three becomes so, so important. Aaron Nola has not been very good the last couple of times out. He has not been dominant. I don't want to hear about what he did in the regular season against the Astros because, you know, look, Verlander blew a 5 nothing lead, but they were up 5 nothing, and Aaron Nola made that start, right? Yeah. So if Suarez, who's been, even Steven, not getting enough credit, very, very good, if they don't win this game tonight, now all the pressure's on Aaron Nola because without Wheeler behind him and possibly Thor Gibson, you can't go down 3-1 probably against the Astros anyway. I get that. But if they lose this game tonight, your season's sitting there on the arm of whatever kind of start Aaron Nola makes tomorrow, 
How much do you think that means that we're going to see the whole bullpen doled out tonight to make sure they get a two to one lead in this series and at least continue to maintain momentum on the Philly side? Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Philly's going to treat this game three like it's a game seven. And, you know, oh, by the way, forget their pitching woes. It's just if you look historically at any seven game series in the MLB, you win game three. There's about a 70 percent chance if it's tied one one, you're going to win the series. So this this game is just the all important game in this series. And, you know, Houston pros pro going out there. Lance McCullers, the guy is no stranger to the big stage. He's pitched in game sevens. He's shoved in game sevens. It's really all on Suarez. And, you know, we saw Suarez in relief the other day and people say, oh, well, that's his bullpen day. He'll be fine. It really is different. You know, it's one thing to throw a 10, 15 pitch bullpen after two, you know, two days after your start. It's another thing to have to go into a game and execute spots and have the adrenaline and have the max effort pitches. Which he did. So, Give him credit. I mean, he struck out Alvarez, yeah. who was two for two against him. Suarez has been brilliant. I mean, you think about what he's done closing out the last series, right? I mean, he is, he's had, look, I'm not comparing him to Julio Urias. Please understand for people <laughs> listening. But he, he's been, you think about Urias closing a World Series of three innings a couple of years ago. He's, he's become a guy that Rob Thompson relies on I think even though his high end's not as much as Wheeler, we know that, and even Nola when he's right, Suarez is kind of the most really, you know, I, I guess expected, you know, output every, you know what, he's going to pitch them into the fifth inning tonight. He may be up 3-2 or down 3-2. He's probably not going to shut him out, but he's going to keep you in the game. Joe, I don't even know if Nola does that because I don't know which version shows up. I don't know what I got out of Wheeler. Forget Thor and now Kyle Gibson. I mean... There's a lot of pressure here on Ranger Suarez tonight for a guy who's pitching in a game three. Yeah, guys, by the way, it's his first full year as a starter in, in the big leagues. I, I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to learn what he's made of. He's done it twice so far this postseason, like you mentioned, closing out the NLCS. He's done it twice coming out of the bullpen. Uh, but, you know, his one start against Houston in the regular season, it was actually his worst start of the regular season. So we'll see. None of that stuff matters. I don't want to sit here and say because he stunk against them in September that that's going to translate into tonight. Verlander was five hitless against Philly and then, you know, started off, what, almost four hitless against them in game one and then all hell broke loose. So, you know, there's no necessary uh, necessarily translation, but I just I, I don't know how Suarez is going to do. It's the first time he's pitching, you know, starting a game rather in a World Series. And there's a lot of pressure on him because, not only does he have to pitch well, which is the expectation every time out there, but he's got to pitch deep because if he doesn't, his team's in trouble the next three games. Do you, you know, as much as everybody gets on the the Astros, and look, I get it for what they did, and trust me, I know what they got away with. I know what they got away with with immunity. I know what they got away with, all that, right? With with facing cardboard cutouts instead of what they, and, but they're going to face a lot of garbage cans. Not as many. It's still it's going to be Halloween dress up night still in Philadelphia tonight. Yeah. A day later, I think you can expect that, right? So people will still be dressing up as garbage cans and who knows what else, but. I got to admit, maybe, you know, getting too much time as a dad and getting softy a little bit. But I'm thinking of like the Jeremy Payne is and what a great story it is, what he's done and how great Alvarez is right. Not on that team. The McCormick stories. Here's a guy who hit a home run of Garrett Cole in a huge spot. Right. Think about how many other guys. Framber Valdez. Right. Who I when I see his energy, I know that whether you want to use nervous ticks or whatever words like I don't think he's cheating. I really don't think his uh, this is not an issue. But I kind of feel for some of the other guys on the team that they they maybe don't get a lot of credit and they're so hated as a group that we're forgetting about those. Do you feel that way just as a baseball fan? Like, Payne is a great example of this. Look what this guy's doing. And I think part of why we don't champion it so much is because he's wearing that jersey. 
A hundred percent. And how about the guy we talked about last week when I came on the show, Dusty Baker? He had nothing right, to do way. with that. And, and, and there's no guy that I'd rather see win than Dusty Baker. So, yeah, I think you're a thousand percent right. You know, I always point to Alvarez, to Pena, to Dusty, you know, guys that had nothing to do with 2017. Look, this whole, you know, everyone hates the Astros thing. I think personally it's a little overplayed. I don't like Altuve. I don't like Bregman. That's me personally. But I actually, as a collective unit, really love this team. I love the pitching staff. I love guys like Christian Javier, the young stud who started the year in the bullpen, became one of the more effective starters in baseball. I mean, I think that they're actually a really great story. And top to bottom, you know, trash cans are not cheating or not. They're just simply the best team in baseball. So I appreciate that, whereas a lot of people, you know, just still won't give them a pass for what happened five, six years ago. And I like Maldonado, too. I mean, he's a really likable player. And, like, that story about, like, you know, I, I, I first of all, I didn't know that rule. Nobody seems to have known the rule. Player I talked to, players I've talked to, they don't know the rule, right, yeah. about the grandfather, which is, it's a BS, it's stupid, the whole grandfathering in or whatever. But people, are, you know, I've seen this, so if you at the case, it's like, we want to, people want to know what Albert, you know, Pujols eating for breakfast, let alone <laughs> borrow his bats. So here's a dude who's a friend who borrows the bats of a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame thinking, let some of that rub off on me. He not, he not cheating. He had no idea what yeah. it was. And, and really, it's more about whether the bats were breakable or not. Were you marveling at how much people were trying to rope the two things we just discussed together? Like, I get it. But I couldn't believe that people were really trying to put some onus on Maldonado like he was trying to cheat there. He tried to get some rub off from Albert Pujols. That's about it. It just made me roll my eyes because, you know, Casey, especially in today's day and age with social media, right? And everyone's got cameras on everything and every everything's a, a viral clip, right? Like you expect it. You know, Val does to your point, you know, when he was going like this with his hands and whatever he's doing, whether he's getting sweat off or anything. People are instantly saying he's cheating. I, I mean, it's just, you know, Valdez switched gloves after a couple innings. Now, I've heard in the past that he's done that because one of the gloves you could kind of see when he was gripping his curveball and the other one you couldn't see. Uh, so it's just like, you know, everything's always going to go back to cheating because people want it to. You know, people can say whatever they want on social media, you know, kind of, you know, twist things any way that they want. At the end of the day, you know, like to your point, who the hell knew that rule with the bat? And, and first off. Why are you allowing guys, if you're going to make a bat illegal, why are you grandfathering you. it in? Yeah, so that's right. Guys why, Pools cheat. can't use it then either. Pools, yeah, I, can, mean, I mean, it's what makes it so stupid. Uh, you know, Robert it's, gets it's ridiculous. In, it is stupid. And he says, uh, do you think the Philly crowd element's overblown, given the fact these shows have been forced to become more resilient to hostile crowds? You know, look, first of all, they, they didn't have to deal with the hostility they would have if the year after it happened, you know, and they got caught, the cardboard cutouts weren't there because they couldn't yell at them. <laughs> so they didn't have to deal with as much. But in general, you mentioned Madison Bumgarner. I know it's not Philly, but I was in Kansas City at the stadium the day that he had the best pitching performance I've ever seen. And nobody yeah. cared what, what was going on. It's on the road. We see road teams win all the time. You and I root for a team that was at home. That didn't seem to matter against the Braves or against San Diego. How much do you think is made too much about how the crowd might affect the actual game in the next three days? Yeah, I think in baseball, home field advantage actually matters way less than in most other sports. You know, I mean, I was just uh, doing a guest spot over the weekend for a betting show on uh, college football. And college football, the home team wins, I think, upwards of 70% of the time, right? You want to talk about a home field advantage. College football is where it's at. Baseball, not so much. You remember the 2019 World Series, Houston Nationals? The road team won all seven games that series. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it matters a whole lot. I think Houston's going to have a lot of fun at Citizens Bank Park personally, uh, you know, because it's a really hitter friendly park. And, uh, you know, Philly fans are going to be Philly fans. I don't think anyone treats the Astros worse than Yankee fans. So they've already dealt with the worst.
Yeah, look, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal either. How do you think it goes here in game three? What do you expect tonight? Uh, I'm expecting, you know, I said last week on your show, Strohs and six. So I'm going to say that they take uh, two out of three here in Philly. I'm going to say that they take, uh, I'll go with, I'll go with tonight in game five. I think Verlander will get his first World Series win in what, his ninth try. And then they'll uh, close it out in Houston on Saturday night now. Yeah, well, by the way, we'll put Zach Wheeler now uh, in game six. Appreciate you, Joe. Thank you. I'll bug you as the series goes long enough. Be well. Thanks so much, Casey. All right, there he is, Joe Serralo. Great stuff from here, believe. Again, 1-1 sitting in uh, game three, a rainout. So we're back to where we expected to be here for this third game of the World Series just a day later. I'm sure people uh, still be all, uh, you know, dolled up in Halloween attire in Philadelphia and getting crazy in all sorts of different ways as uh, the Philadelphia Phillies will throw Ranger Suarez in on game three, Nola in game four, and then in game five, it will be, it looks like, Syndergaard or Kyle Gibson before they turn things back into Game 6 and Game 7. So Zach Wheeler not going to go until the sixth game of this series, which is just, you know, again, when you get a guy like Wheeler who you know, you're trying to ride your horses to see that dude pitch only twice in a series, not easy. Not easy. Difficult thing to do to try and win that way. That's why there's a lot of Ranger Suarez, the guy who gets the start tonight for Philadelphia. And on the other side, I mean, that's the thing. You know, Lance McCullough has been through this before. He pitched game sevens. He was, you know, out there in a game seven against a Yankee team where they were down 3-2 at one point in the series. That's in the LCS in 2017. And he sat there and he and Morton piggybacking back and forth with a game seven to go win a World Series. So he's been there before. Not going to be afraid of this moment in Philadelphia, regardless of what the crowd says. But I think when you look at Lance and you think about Javier and the guys Dusty has, he's set up with a little bit more right now, despite Nolan Wheeler. You got Nola coming off a bad start, and he got who knows what version of Zach Wheeler I get with arm fatigue now, as he'll wait until game six here coming up on Saturday. We continue with you. Take you for about another half an hour or so here in October Unfiltered. As always, welcome to everybody on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere where you get your podcast. As uh, we'll get a chance here in a couple of seconds to welcome in and reunite with uh, my dude, Gary Sheffield, who's going to be on board. And I, I, I see him down preparing uh, in the left. And he's got glasses on like me, which means we're both old and, and senile and can't see. And I see him smiling. Uh, so we'll, we'll get him in here. We appreciate Chef for hopping on board. What's up, brother? How are you, man? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing so good, man. It's so good to see you. Uh, do I, do I want to ask at the beginning of this how the golf game is? Uh, actually, it's on point right now. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Now, are you, um, in what area have you improved most? Because, I, I mean, look, I know how much you have diligently put into this. The way you were as a hitter is how you've been now as a golfer. Yet much more frustrated. You struck out like 80 times a season, which is basically like a three-week span for hitters now, Chef. Uh, so how much have you limited the strikeouts and the bad swings in the golf area? What's the area you've improved the most? I mean, give me the, give me the breakdown. Well, I had to figure out where was my weakness and I find you know, I found it in the driver, um, long off the tee, which it brings a lot of things into play. And so it puts me in bad positions on my second shot. So I, I, I focus a lot on in the driver in the fairway. And then when I get um, 130 in, is when I used to struggle uh, with putting a little bit, um, three putt sometimes, which I shouldn't do. Uh, if I get my shot at that 130 in, if I get the shot at within 10 feet, you know, I'm pretty much going to make a par. So uh, I worked on that, my chipping game. And once I figured that out, um, now it's just uh, the 
different courses of playing, you know, taking uh, the right line, knowing where you're lined up at. So that's that's part of that's part of it. A lot of times, your bad shot is not a bad shot; it's just you've been you know, lining the wrong. Well, I just love the way you're digging into it, just like a hitter. It's not like you don't take it seriously. My goodness, dude, come on now. Uh, but speaking of which, I gotta go here. Like when you hear the Yankees in in the series last week struck out 17, 18 times in a game, right? And now I know you look. You face some pitchers that in a game they go deal. They strike out 14, 15 guys. You know, Pedro do something like that, or Maddox, right? You play behind guys like that, so it can happen on a given day. But it's happening like every day. You're a guy who struck out 82 times in in a, in a season, and we're mad at yourself. You struck out 82 times. Yeah. What is it like watching watching the hitters of today in a postseason, Chef? Well, uh, for me, like I told you before, Case, uh, you know, I don't I don't agree with the brand of baseball. I understand the brand of baseball, and I understand why they're doing what they're doing. But there's times where um, they put their, their style of play over winning a baseball game and i think that if you ask anybody that played this game they would tell you the object is to win the game and what uh, you know whatever you have to do to win the game if you have to bunt if you have to move a guy over you have to do the little things to give a job give a guy an opportunity to drive in a run after you then that's playing baseball but just going out there trying to hit a home run um trying to hit a three-run home run i mean if 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 my era was playing today, these records would be shattered. Every record in the book would be shattered because I knew if I didn't hit 300 and hit 30 home runs and drive in 120 and, and score 100 runs and get 100 walks to set up my guys behind me, then I wasn't considered a good baseball player. So these guys can go up there and strike out try to hit a two-run homer, they may connect on one and it may come through and they look like heroes, but they don't even realize how easy that is to do. You know, I got four at-bats to try to hit one home run. Pretty much I can do that every day if I try to. So I don't care how hard a guy is throwing, um, you know, what kind of breaking ball he has. I'm going to sit on one pitch and I'm going to get it and I'm going to hit it out. So that's really not sellable to me I, I don't know about other people and i i think the brand of baseball is what people are saying today is today's game and i like i've always said i'm not going to be one of these old guys and say man this game sucks and this and that the game is hard i know it's hard and when you got you're facing a lot of relievers i always said when a reliever comes in the game he's he's pretty much the easiest guy to hit to be honest with you because basically he has to get strike one. And if he don't get strike one, now he don't know what to go to next because he just got in the game. So I take that first pitch away from all relievers and now I make them regular pitchers. And so these guys are really not using smarts and understanding the situation and how to set up a pitcher. I've said this before, I've said this to you before, but I'll, I'll say it because you're humble, you wouldn't say it yourself. But you're a guy, if you wanted to do it, which I know you don't, could be a hitting coach tomorrow and be the best hitting coach in the league. I know that your current players, and I know working sitting next to you seven years, just listening during those games, learn more about hitting than anything. I'll never forget sitting next to you uh, in our cigar lounge when Kershaw got the out in the you know and relief 
and you said they're not really going to let him face Rendon, right? And Rendon came up. You said, oh, it's gone. Don't look. And it hits a home run. And then you said, well, Soto's going to get him too. And he got it because you guys been in that moment. So you watch the body language. And I want to ask you this because you've seen Bryce's career. You've seen him come in as a guy who had all the tools, chef, right? MVP long ago with DC, but people getting mad at him, but everybody, he had the LeBron kind of, really in the age of social media, and you would have dealt with this in the age of social media too, the kind of player you were, having that LeBron thing on the back of no matter what you do is not enough. How proud are you to see what's happened to him, not only as a hitter, but as a leader, and the way that he's turned his career now into a track to be in Cooperstown someday? I'm very proud of this kid, man. I, I Now, if anybody that asks me, he's one of the guys I would pay to see. I would pay to go out and watch this kid because he's no-nonsense baseball player. Uh, he wants to win. Everything about him, you know, and, and I'll tell you, everything about this guy, he's old school, he's new school, he's everything. And when you talk about a player that goes out there and he the teammates feed off of him, you can see it. When he comes through, people just, you know, the, the, everybody through the lineup just start clicking. And so even with – Houston up five runs. With him being on the team, he makes the difference in how they're going to come back because they're always looking at where's Bryce Harper? Where is he coming up in the order? All of these things is a factor. and People don't look at baseball players as being that impactful in situations they're not even in. They're just on the team. And when their turn, their turn is up, you know, the whole lineup is, is – is, you know, the other team is looking at the lineup is when he's coming back up. So he's affecting everything. And But this kid, he's a hard worker. Um, you know, he's a good, I could tell he's a good teammate. I would love to play with a guy like him. And anytime there's a big moment, this guy loves that moment because he's been in the spotlight, like you said, and he has all that attention on him. And the, the tougher the situation is, you know, I wouldn't pitch to him at all. I know you you know how good Verlander is. I know you know him and are friendly with him. I, I you know, I, I had, were with him in a short time when you were in Detroit. Uh, how much do you think it's eating at him that this World Series ERA continues to go the wrong direction? He's had so many great starts, Chef, and what a great year. And you know he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. And he's had a great year. He's going to win a Cy Young this year. He had good postseason. And then he gets to the World Series. And then here we go again. You know how it is. That's how that tag gets on you where you just can't do it. I mean, how much do you think it's eating at a guy with with the kind of confidence level and the ego you got to have to be Justin Verlander that he's not able to get those numbers down in the World Series? Well, you know, right now he's just snake bit. That's a term in baseball when things you just can't understand just don't go your way. And that's the game. That's just the way the game is. But one thing I know about Justin is that I don't care what the situation is, he's going to go out there and compete. He's the most competitive guy I know. Um, he's like a position player, I used to always say, like Mariano Rivera. They may be on the mound, but they're pretty much in tune with the whole game. They're basically dissecting hitters, even if they're not pitching. They're telling pitchers what to do and how to do it. Uh, but when he gets in this game, I think this next game he, he gets in, he knows if he get another five-run lead like that, he's going to pretty much shut them down. Because while I was I was watching the, that at-bat, uh, Castellano, uh, he's a friend of mine as well. Um, he was up to the plate uh, with two outs, and they was winning five to nothing with one guy on. That's the one mistake that I say Verlander uh, made 
when he had him two strikes and flipped him a breaking ball that was low. And he made that mistake and he extended the inning. Now Justin Head starts spinning about, okay, now they, they hit a three-run homer. I let him back in the game. Instead of attacking him with high fastballs, get out of that inning, that game is over. And so I think that's probably eating at him more than anything else that happened in that game. He knows that's the one pitch he shouldn't have thrown. Well, one thing you always say, don't slow a guy's bat down, right? Cool. If he can't catch up, why he slowed it down? And I'll tell you what, because you mentioned that game. i got to ask you about this because you were, you were not in a creepy way, but you were in my head. The amount of times that you said, you know, why are they ambushing fastballs? I don't know how many times we watch guys take eaters down the chute. How happy were you to see the Astros, their approach to Wheeler, when instead of waiting, when, you know, we're going we're gonna to run his pitch count up and all that nonsense, where you're 0-2 against a guy like that, and he's flipping one, you got no shot. Four pitches into the game, they got three doubles and two runs. You're screaming all the time for guys in today's day and age to do that. Why don't more hitters try and do that and ambush heaters early? Well, that's the key to hitting great pitching. You ambush them. You know, I don't care if it's Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, Dwight Gooden, Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, John Smokes. You can name them. Anytime you're facing these guys, when you're sitting there telling as a team, when your, your, your scouts come around and say you want to get the pitch count up and then get to their bullpen, that's a bad philosophy because the bottom line is you know this guy is going to be around the plate. He, he wants strike one because once a great pitcher gets strike one, they pretty much finish you. So basically you make them work hard to get that strike one. They have to make a great pitch on the first pitch, but even if they make a great pitch, now you've seen it before. So now they don't have anything great to go back to but their fastball So and try to spot it. And if they don't spot it, they make mistakes. So I always have the philosophy of if a guy's a fastball pitcher, he has a good breaking ball, but hey, his best pitch, his best pitch is 97. So I'm going to take his 97 away, and I'm going to make him an 80s pitcher, the 80, 85, 89 breaking ball. And they don't feel comfortable throwing that pitch a majority of the time. So if you ambush them, they know you're ambushing them. They, they put that fastball in their back pocket. Yeah, we uh, we got two years of the seven that I did with you in the back pocket next to uh, the guy we call the old goat. And he's he's you know, certifiably nuts is Dusty Baker in the best way. And. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting there, as I know you are, and look, it's nothing against the Phillies or, or anything, and they got good people on that team too, but it's hard for people like you and I not to root for Dusty Baker to get these four and finally get one. You know how bad he wants it. What What's the thing that could get this this team? I mean, because if it's not bad breaks, they got a better pitching staff, right, in terms of their depth. They got all the hitters you could ever want. Now Altuve's hot again. He had three hits, right? I know they blew a 5 nothing lead, but really they could have easily been up 2 nothing in this series. Do you feel confident this is the one Dusty gets? I mean, I know we're 1-1 in a game three. Anything could happen. But how confident are you that we're going to be sitting there texting Dusty here in a few days? Congratulations on finally getting one. Well, I, I think this is a pretty much even series. And anytime you're talking about your bullpen is your strength, you can't really say that about Houston because they're starting pitchers, they strength as well. But the thing is, is that you know, these guys going deep in the game, which it keeps pitchers out of the game where in a seven-game series, you don't get to see them. And when the more they see the bullpen, then then you'll start seeing a swing in the bullpen and, and 
and not as, not being so effective the more they're out there. And I think that that starting pitching for Houston Astros has been doing a good job and how they're getting the ball in the fifth and sixth inning. And with, with that being said, you know, now you can do matchups. You know, you can let a guy go an inning without seeing Bryce Harper or let another guy go another inning without seeing Bryce Harper. And the key to it all is, you know, you want to make sure that that guy is facing Bryce, the matchup is in your favor. Because anytime you're in a big situation, you want to have a pitcher on the mound that has a good track record against him because you don't want to be in a situation where you have good numbers on a guy when the game is on the line. So I, I just think that this is the best opportunity Dusty's ever had to win a championship. Uh, he's been on some good teams. He made good teams great. Uh, but if you look at their lineup all the way through, pitcher staff, bullpen, this is the probably this is probably the most solid team Dusty's ever had. And I think that with his uh, his pedigree and what he knows. I think, and we always say great managers will win you some games. And I think it's going to come down to Dusty having to win a game for his team. I want to hit you on, on a couple more, and you know how much I appreciate you coming on. And I, I, just on, on some, some other, you know, first of all, Aaron Judge, and we haven't talked about this, but it's, it's such a fantastic year. Um, he's a terrific player it's hard to do that in new york you know that better than anybody and to handle it as well as he has right in new york the way he has but and i know you i know you hold, hold words on this either he's in a pretty decent spot chef in terms of about to get a couple of bags of money um if you're in that spot what's the advice to an aaron judge with a Yankee team that let him let him date. They let him go out there now and go see what else is out there in San Francisco, right? Go closer to home or in L.A. or with Steve Cohen and the Mets. What's your advice if you're talking to Aaron Judge about this free agent decision right now? Whatever you have to do to stay in New York with the Yankees, that's what you make happen. Um, wherever you have success, stay there and have success. I've been on other teams. It ain't like going anywhere else after New York. You go to New York, there's no going nowhere else because it's going to be a letdown. I don't care what rivalry you go to or what organization that may be a great organization. It's still not the same as being somewhere you have success. And that that would be my advice to him as the same advice I gave to Robinson Cano. I told him that once you leave New York, your, your career is not going to be the same. And you don't go from that to being held responsible and accountable on every pitch, every play, to going somewhere else where there's a letter. Because nobody wants to win like people want to win in New York. And no, or, and, and no other organization is going to demand what they demand from you in New York. So to get you to, get you to your optimal best, you know, you have to be in New York. But, you know, because of his personality, he's a laid-back personality. You see, you know, he's an even-keeled guy. If you go to a situation where the fans ain't as into the game like people are in New York, you may have a letdown in performance. So I would be cautious in leaving, and I would try to do everything in my power to make sure it happens. Yeah, I, I want to follow on that quick if I can, because, you know, and I, look, I, I think it's amazing. To your point, you know, people always think, like, you got to be some crazy – you could be even keeled to play in the U.S. Bernie Williams even keeled, right? You could be a lot of, but you you have to be able to embrace in some ways 
what it is. You can't be afraid of it. And that's why when we hear reports, and who knows where these reports come out, you know as well as I do, right? I get it. And I know I'm a member of the media, quote unquote, but I, I'm not like that. But some people, you never know where these things come out of. But for, for people to, for any player to complain that they're getting booed, when you got swept off the field, you struck out a million times, you couldn't score, you're dropping pop flies. I mean, you're playing for the Yankees, Garrett. I mean, that's what I'm sitting there and thinking. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, you can't be doing that. What's the fortitude it takes in here that's different for everywhere else to succeed in a place like New York? And what was your reaction when you heard about perhaps maybe players being upset that they got booed after they got swept? Well, I think Russell Westbrook is dealing with the same thing in basketball with the Lakers, and they're similar situations. All they know is banners. And if you come there, they don't care what you did in other places. They don't care how great they say you are. You have to understand they're looking for banners. The, the boos are not personal. That's just a reaction. And their reaction is they, they expect to see great baseball all the time hard play baseball. And when they don't see that, they're going to let you know. So you can't take it personal. You can't look at it any kind of way. You can use it as fuel, actually. And the thing is, is that when they born our team or born an individual player, um, the first thought that should come to your head is, I know how to silence the booze by performing. And so that's the only thing that how you neutralize booing is you perform. And so a lot of players don't like to be booed because they don't like to be noticed and talked about and brought to the forefront and held responsible for certain things. If you're a great player, you embrace the responsibility. You embrace the booze, the cheers, and you treat them all the same. That's why you never. That's why I love Judd, uh, the way he goes about his business. You don't know if he's up. You don't know when he's down. He embraces that, and I think that he's been through the tough times in New York when he was striking out and not doing too much hitting and not hitting the home runs that we all accustomed to, well, we don't got used to seeing. Um, I think that he's the perfect guy to play in that city. And so I think that when guys come to New York, they crumble under the pressure because they don't like to be on the – they don't like to sit out front. Uh, and be talked about, and then now they have to go back and dig deep and perform. A lot of people don't know how to do that. No, I, look, it's tough. I, I've said, I said the other day, it's not just New York. I mean, a guy we know, one of the great dudes in the game. I mean, see, Carl Crawford he was like one of the best players in the league in Tampa Bay. You go to Boston, it's crazy animal. It's not the contract. It's just like, that's a different, you got four beat writers in Tampa Bay and like eight fans right. in the crowd. And then you go to Boston. It's difficult. I, I want to shoot you one more here and then I'll let you run. I appreciate all this time. But I, I think, you know, to me, one of the things I always, and I want to bring this to, to viewers and listeners, I always hear about slowing the game down. And I hear every announcer say it in every game and every pitcher and everybody talk about it. And I think, you know, even though I, I don't play and a lot of the people who are listening and watching don't, we all have been in a job interview or in a date you're nervous or you're asking somebody to marry you or everybody got their own scenario, right? So we've all been in that your heartbeat is getting like this and you're nervous even though you're excited. How did you handle those moments? You were so great in those spots at driving in runs in postseason games. What are hitters doing when they're successful at that? Take me into that kind of a moment here in a game like game three that we'll see tonight. Well, I think once the moments start building, it starts in the, uh, on deck circle. Guys have they they you know that struggle and, and, and big moments. 
it starts on the on deck circle because they're saying that I may be the guy that has to get it done. And so, like I said, a lot of guys don't want to be out front. They don't want to be all cameras on, all the cameras on them, all eyes on you. They don't want that. They don't want that kind of action. But for, for me, and I, I think for Judd and guys like that, and guys that come through the Trouts, the Harpers, I think it starts in the batter's box, and it starts with, hey, this is what I want. I want this guy to get on so it can be and fall on me. And so when you get up there, I don't care who I'm facing. I don't care if he, he has success on me or not. I know how to think my way through the situation to get it done. And so really, I always looked at it from a crazier standpoint. Like, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I can make an out, you know, and I'm not going to jail. <laughs> I'm, you know, nobody's going to hurt me. Uh, so all it is is baseball at the end of the day. And, and as simple as that may sound, that's basically what it is. It's a baseball game that I'm paid to play, and I'm really good at it, and I'm the best at it, as a matter of fact. So I'm going to just go show one more time what, I, what I'm the best at. And so I go in there, and I control the situation, and I control my thoughts. Basically, basically it's just me and him. And now I got a game plan, and I'm going to stick to it. How close are you to feeling that on the golf course? <laughs> just, just a hard game. <laughs> you're getting better, but you're getting there. You're yeah, getting there. That, that's all that matters. Dude, you know I love you, man. You're one of my favorite people on earth. Forget about uh, you know baseball or not. Appreciate you. Thanks for a few, Chef. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Gary Sheffield, my dude. Appreciate him for hopping on board here with us at October Unfiltered on the Believe Network. And, of course, if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcast, appreciate you just as much as we get you set for Game 3 of the World Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. And, again, in a game like this tonight, especially with that extra day, now there's no complaints about what bullpens are weary or who's tired, who can't get it done. Everybody going to be ready. All systems go out of the shoot. Ranger Suarez on one end, Lance McCullers on the other, and we will have all of it to recap tomorrow. Jeff Blum going to join me. We'll recap game three. We'll preview game four. We're with you live every day at noon Eastern. You can jump on board with us three ways on my Twitter at Casey Stern, YouTube, uh, my YouTube, and that uh, believes as well. We appreciate everybody for hopping on board. Just Rollo, Gary Sheffield, and of course, uh, the folks who make uh, all this possible because we, as always, are presented. By our good friends at Bet Online. We'll see you next time on October Unfiltered. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.